Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the young adult ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. Okay. Yes, it is my birthday on, on Saturday. I appreciate you guys. That was very kind of you. All right. Well, that, uh, that changes my intro a little bit. But I do have a question for you guys. You guys ready to answer a question? You sure? All right. If I were to ask you, do you think God is ever limited in his ability? What would you say? No, no. Strong no, huh? Strong no. So you would say God is never limited in his ability. God can do anything. He's all powerful. Okay. Sounds like y'all believe. I would agree that God can do anything. Interesting thing, though, interesting thing, though, as we look at Scripture, there are times in Scripture and in our own lives where God chooses to limit what he does and limit his plans to the level of our participation. Think about it. God can do anything. But he won't make you do everything or really make you do anything. And so there are plans that God wants to come to pass that he wants to participate with us in. But though he could force us and though he could have us move like robots, he chooses not to. And he gives us the ability to make a decision as to whether we're going to participate with him in what he's doing. And so there are times where God will limit his plan for our lives based on the level of our participation. And in these instances in our lives, God's ability is limited to our availability. In these instances in our lives, God's ability is limited to our availability. Well, how, you say? I can think of a couple people, one of them being myself. I can think of a few years ago, way before I ever thought that I would be in this position, preaching to you guys, teaching the word of God. I remember a very simple thing that I just felt impressed to do. Um, Just as I was praying, as I was reading, I felt like God started communicating to me, you need to start writing stuff down when I tell you stuff. And it was a very simple thing, so simple that it actually took a while for me to actually do it because it didn't seem like that big of a deal. Actually, it felt kind of inconvenient at times. I didn't really, and mind you, I was going through this process of even kind of like having the discussion with God, negotiating, like, okay, I hear what you're saying. You want me to write stuff down. So I'm going to start writing it in my phone. And I felt like this, like, no. I mean, like, by hand. And I'm like, by hand? It's 2016. (laughs) Yahweh. 
we have technology. And I don't know, it just, it was this weird, just impression that I was getting where I really felt stirred to write stuff down by hand. It took a while for me to actually do this. Actually, actually that was 2015 leading into 2016. 2016 is when I started dating my wife and she actually bought me a journal as one of the first gifts that she got me and I didn't journal at that time. And so I took that as a sign, if you will, and I started writing stuff down. Now, what I started seeing when I would do this is as I would study the word, now I would open the Bible sometimes and I would get an awesome understanding of what God was saying. However, when I started doing what God told me to do, which was writing it down, the understanding would expand as I was writing. And so as I'm writing, I'm realizing more and God just started unfolding certain things and revealing things to me as I was writing because he had a bigger purpose and a bigger plan in place. And he had vision to see some things that I couldn't see, but he was starting me with a small step. Similar to myself, there's somebody who's really, really similar to me. Um, His name's Steph Curry. And (laughs) we have a ton in common. And, you know, we're, we're champions. And so, kidding. So, but the thing is, Steph Curry, I believe that he's designed to be an athlete. I don't think any of us would argue with that. He is a great athlete. And God, I believe, called him to be an athlete, but God didn't force him to be an athlete. God didn't just make him good at shooting. God could have just like put a great shooting ability in him and he would never have to practice and would never have to drill. He could have just put that in him and he would have just been great. And I think a lot of us want God to do that with us. Like whatever we're called to do, just give me the ability to do it and let me just go be great. But in order for Steph Curry to operate at the level that he's able to operate at, he shoots over a thousand shots a week. And he puts himself through this rigorous workout right before games to get ready for the games. And there's just some things that he's doing to prepare him for where God has called him to be. And a lot of it is small steps. And so Steph does small steps. And so tonight, I want to talk to you guys about small steps. And tonight's message, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are taking notes, Tonight's message is called Shoot Your Shots. And this is obviously not a message about dating, (laughs) though we probably need one of those soon. Tonight's message is called Shoot Your Shots, and we're going to see it has nothing to do with basketball. It has nothing to do with dating. It's actually from a passage of scripture. And before we dive in, I want to pray. God, we just love you. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here with you and to hear from you, Lord, to learn from your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just move in this time, Lord. Let your power be on display. Let your character and your heart be on display. Point us to Jesus, Lord, and let your will be done in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you are on your devices, turn to 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13 might not be a place that you guys read often, 
But the word of God is effective and it's interesting everywhere. Do you guys believe that? That's it. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to see. Second Kings chapter 13 says, now Elisha, this was a prophet of God, had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, is what he's calling Elisha. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. He shot his shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God, Elisha, was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Now that sounds like a really simple, not super interesting story. The guy shoots an arrow and then he shoots three more and then Elisha gets mad. I was studying this in my personal time and it just stuck out to me and I got curious. And when you get curious in the word of God, you learn that there is no wasted space in the word. There is no wasted scripture in the Bible. There's no wasted story that God tells, but everything is useful. Everything in the word of God is effective. And I actually learned some important Uh, lessons out of this story. So there are a few things that we need to understand about the story, and I'm going to give you the three points of tonight up front, and then we're going to explain it. Number one, God always has a really big plan. Now, you may not have caught that just from me reading the story, but you will understand. Number two, God's big plans for us come to pass one small step at a time. Number three, Our faithfulness in the small steps determines the fulfillment of the big plan. So number one is God always has really big plans. Number two is God's big plans for us come to pass one small step at a time. And number three, our faithfulness in these small steps determines the fulfillment of the big plan. So how does this story say that, you may ask? Point one, we're going to start with and we're going to explain. God always has really big plans. So what was happening here was Elisha was a very renowned and important prophet in Israel. Um, We sang the song earlier that was actually descriptive of a story in the Bible about Elisha, Fight My Battles. I described it a few weeks ago where, you know, the song says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is, a, uh, this is descriptive of a story in the Bible where Elisha is surrounded. The city is surrounded by a 
an army coming to capture him and his servant is scared. And Elisha says, he prays for his servant and he says, open his eyes so that he can see what's actually happening. God opens his eyes and he's able to see outside of the army is chariots of fire and soldiers and God's army surrounding them. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Now, somebody who's having this going on clearly has some power from God, clearly has a relationship with God. And uh, he was very important in that time, especially in Old Testament times, the prophets were regarded as the man of God because they were the one person in the city who was hearing from God. So when you wanted to inquire from God, you would have to go ask the prophet. And so what's happening here is Elisha is on his deathbed, sick and dying. And the king of Israel, the king is going to visit him and he weeps over him and he says, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, you're our protection. God protects this city because you are here. And now you're about to die. He's mourning. But how does Elisha respond? He says, get a bow and some arrows. So what's happening here is God is shifting perspective. Elisha is speaking on behalf of God. That's what was taking place here. Elisha, the prophet, is considered the mouth of God, the mouthpiece of God. And what he's doing is shifting perspective. The king is looking at who he thinks is most important here and saying our protection, our peace, the presence of God in our place is dying. And God responds by shifting perspective. Get a bow and some arrows. In this culture, to shoot an arrow into a territory was a declaration of war. And so what's happening here is Elisha responds, this is God responding. Get a bow and some arrows, open the window, shoot it out the window, the east window, towards this particular place, which is Syria. It's called Aram. Shoot it to Syria. And then Elisha says, the Lord's arrow of victory over Aram. So the king approaches the situation mourning, saying, The presence of God, the protection of God is dying. And God responds by shifting the perspective immediately to say, you think that this is your protection. Elisha is not the chariots and horsemen of Israel. God is the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And though Elisha is dying, God is not dying. And so what happens is even before he tells him to shoot the arrow, Elisha places his hands on his hands before he shoots. This is to represent an impartation of power. That's why we lay hands on people who are sick. That's why we lay hands on people. It is a transfer of power that God uses to represent what is taking place. So Elisha, as he's dying, is showing the king, look, my death is not the death of God. I am who God has been using. Now God wants to use you. Plot twist, this changed really quickly. The king was not coming up here for all of that. He didn't come and request a word. He didn't come and inquire of God. He came to mourn. And so I wonder what areas in our lives where we're mourning the end of something 
while God is trying to celebrate the beginning of something new. God doesn't even address his concerns. He doesn't say, don't be sad. He immediately responds with a shift of perspective. Grab a bow and arrows. I'm about to show you something because you have this mixed up. It's God who has the plan here. And it's a much bigger plan than what the king sees at the moment. God is planning a victory and a deliverance for his people, and the king is not able to see that. God wants to use him. Elisha puts his hands on his hands, tells him to shoot the arrow. He shoots it into the territory, a declaration of war. And how many of you guys know when God declares war, it's not a maybe. So God tells him to declare war, and then he says, look, the arrow of the Lord's victory. Because when God declares war, it's, it's already a done deal. The victory is already won. And he's saying, I'm about to use you to do something bigger than you even thought. Why? What was happening is Aram, Syria, had been oppressing Israel for generations. And Elisha, his presence in Israel was looked at as a defense. God is shifting perspective here to say, look, You guys have been oppressed for generations and I've heard the cry of my people and I want to set them free. You think that the death of Elijah is the end of your protection. It's actually the beginning of your victory. I'm trying to completely remove the oppression. I'm trying to completely, totally wipe them out and give you total victory. God has a much bigger plan than what the king realized when he got there. God wants to do something huge and he wants to use him to do it. But as we talked about in the beginning, God's ability to do something in our lives is often limited to our availability. And so the reason that this is such a short story is because the level of his participation was limiting what God was trying to do. God had a really, really, really big plan but all he gave him was small steps. Grab a bow and some arrows. Open the window. Shoot the arrow out the window. Okay, that's the arrow of the Lord's victory. Take the arrows. Strike the ground. He only strikes it three times. This is implying that there's a, what holds arrows is called the quiver. It's implying that there's a quiver full of arrows and he only shoots a few of them. And God is like, you're not taking me seriously. I'm telling you, I want to give you complete victory. Complete victory. Over this. And you're just kind of halfway doing this. He's he grabs it. He kind of shoots it out the window. The Lord's arrow of victory. Take the arrows. He takes the arrows. Strike the ground. You would think. Any of you guys remember King David? I would imagine if King David was in this instance, you guys know David was much more of a savage. And David was used greatly by God, especially in military exploits. I would imagine if it was David in this instance, he would have taken every arrow, just murked the ground. 
But the king just kind of halfway does it, just kind of lazily. God is trying to do something huge. I wonder what areas in our lives God is trying to do something really big and only giving us small steps and we don't take them all that seriously. When God was trying to prepare me for this moment right here, he started by saying, you should start writing stuff down when I tell you something. And I operated a little bit more like the king here in that situation at first. A lot of times our perspective just limits God's ability to do some things in our lives. I'm so grateful for the grace of God that had some patience with me. Because imagine if you're trying to do this big plan, you're wanting to set people free. You're wanting to use somebody to do it. And all you're doing is giving them one small step at a time, trying to coach them along, and they won't take any of it seriously. That's what's happening here. He's sitting here with the completely wrong perspective, thinking Israel is about to die. We're about to get murdered by the Arameans because our protection is leaving. And while he's mourning this so-called end, God is trying to say, look, I'm trying to do a new beginning and something bigger than you could even imagine. And I'm not even going to tell you the whole thing up front. I'm going to just give you a small step to start with. But know that I have a huge plan. So for me, I've been through a couple different seasons in my life, a couple different career paths. A couple of times I could have easily been mourning the end of what looked like such a successful era. Mourning the end of something while God was trying to celebrate the beginning. Some of you guys are experiencing the death of some things in your lives. While God is, and, and God is allowing that to happen for the birth of something else. But so often it's only communicated in small steps. And so God doesn't answer, hey, this happened over here because I'm about to do this huge thing. Sometimes it's, oh my gosh, this just happened. And God just says, get a bow and some arrows. Oh my gosh, this just happened. Wake up in the morning and read your Bible. Oh my gosh, this just happened. Get some godly people around you. Oh my gosh, this just happened. Go to church. <laughs> and then he'll give you the next step with a little bit more revelation and the next step and the next step. But so many of us get caught up in the small steps. Jesus is a perfect example of this second point that God's big plans come God's big plans for us come to pass one small step at a time. Jesus is a perfect example of somebody who walked this out. Jesus is the perfect example of everything. And even Jesus was not exempt from this process. John 6:38 says 
Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He's saying, I'm not even here to do what I want to do. I'm only here to obey what the Father is saying. And then in Philippians 2.8, says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what this is implying here is Jesus' obedience didn't start at the cross. It says he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Your obedience is a journey. And it happens step by step, one small step at a time, one arrow at a time. So don't stop halfway through. Jesus, on a day-by-day basis, he said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. This means every healing, every miracle, every conversation, every teaching, every parable that Jesus gave was not everything that he was capable of doing, but everything that he was told to do, one small step at a time. And he learned obedience through the things he was challenged with, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How many of you know that obedience is a muscle that you're going to have to grow and that in order to become obedient to the point of being tortured to death without resisting, without defending yourself, without exerting your own power, Jesus had all power to stop anything at any time. And it says that he became obedient to the point of death, that he would even allow himself to die because it was the Father's will, even death on a cross. Not getting stabbed, not getting shot, but to die torturously and hang on a cross for six hours, bleeding to death in agonizing pain until he suffocated to death. That only happens one step at a time. So Jesus' radical obedience led him to the cross, but started way before the big moment. That's the piece to write down. Why does God give us small steps for such a big plan? I would say it's because that's what we can handle at the time. If God would have responded, if the king came in and he said, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And God said, look, go get your army and go kill all the Arameans. That probably would have been a lot to respond with. That's what God was saying. But he started with one step to build his faith. God gives us one step at a time. And each step of obedience builds our faith for the next step. He puts his hands on the king's hands, shoot the arrow, shoots the arrow, declaration of war. Then the man of God speaks on behalf of God. God is saying he's going to give you victory over Aram. That's step one. Now step two, shoot more than one arrow. Shoot all the arrows. That wasn't even that hard of a next step. And he failed. Why? I would say it's because we all hate small steps. 
I don't think we like small steps to anything. Has anybody said, I want to be successful really slowly? Like, I want a ton of money, but like one penny at a time. Nobody says that. Ideally, though we know there has to be a process to anything, we always want the faster route. We want the windfall. We want it all. Oh, God, you're calling me to be in this position? Okay, hire me for that position. And God might say, I am. I am hiring you for the CEO position by opening the door for you to be the janitor. <laughs> and we're like, oh, I, no, that doesn't... I'm, I've been praying about this, and this doesn't feel like the Lord. This doesn't really match my skill set. I feel called to lead. Um, and God has designed me and wired me in a way where I, where I should be leading. And though there's nothing wrong with cleaning things, I just don't feel like that's my calling. And so we may ignore the, the small step. I mean, if you're the king of Israel, I would imagine, I don't, now I don't know Jehoash. I don't know what his personality was like, but I would imagine if you're the king, you don't like small steps at all. Do what? Hold on. I'm the king. I don't do small stuff. You want to tell me something? Tell me. If God wants to tell me that he wants to do something, I'm the king. I can make it happen. Just let him tell me. I'm not going to do all this little stuff, this demonstration you're trying to do. And so it's like, all right, I'll shoot. All right, I shot the arrows. What are you trying to say? And he missed out because of his posture, not understanding how God operates. I think sometimes we can forget who God is, how he operates, how he does things. And I don't know what it is that makes us hate these small steps, but I have a few ideas. I think one, I actually have a list of them. <laughs> why we do not like small steps. They frustrate us. Like, why you got me shooting arrows, bro? They make us feel small. Shoot some arrows. I'm the king. Shoot the ground with some arrows. I should be telling somebody else to do a demonstration. But small steps sometimes make us feel small. Where God is trying to accomplish something big one small step at a time, if we only hear the small instruction, it can be, well, God, can I do more than that? This is all you want me to do? Call this person, pray for this person, stay a little bit longer somewhere to have a conversation, go visit this person. Don't you have a big plan for my life, but all you keep telling me is little things to do. For me, a lot of people ask me um, when I felt called to be 
a pastor, like, man, yo, when did you know this was like your calling? Like, you know, when did you know you were going to be up here doing this? And my answer is normally, I didn't know. I was just following one step at a time. And I saw a couple different directions that it could go. But what God was building in me kind of could have fit in a couple different areas. But I was just being obedient step by step. So God didn't tell me five years ago, hey, you're going to be a young adults pastor. I've called you to be a young adults pastor. No, I've called you to follow me and to do what I say and trust that I have the best plan for your life. And it's really that simple. So I started following Jesus, trying to do what he said. Sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. And then I got better, and I feel like we continually get better as we're growing at doing what he says. Why? Because each time we do what he says, he's always faithful to show us it was a good idea. And then it builds our faith for the next step. And so as I start writing stuff down, for instance, I start getting all this revelation. And I'm like, wow, I understand stuff more when I start writing it down. I should have listened to this a while ago. That then builds my faith to do the next small thing that God tells me to do. And so I was a volunteer small group leader Started out as not the captain of my small group, but just an adult attending a high school small group. Did I use that as, I'm called to preach, so now I have a platform? No. I use that as, hey, God, whatever opportunities you have for me here, I'm open, I'm available. Most of the time, my entire first year of volunteering in the high school ministry, I felt completely ineffective. And I felt like it made no difference to anybody whether I was there or not. Not because anybody was doing anything bad. I just didn't feel like I was contributing a whole lot. So I'd be getting off work. I'd be showing up. I'd be tired. I'd be like, why am I here? None of these kids even like me. Everybody else was having these deep conversations. I remember one time... If you guys don't know Mike D, he's standing there in the yellow hoodie with the camera right there, and now he's ducking away. So him and his wife invited me to serve in the Capitol. That's how I started volunteering there. And I remember being in a volunteer meeting one time, and one of the kids was just talking about Mike, how good of a leader he was. Like, man, I just remember, like, Mike would call me when I was going through stuff, and he just, he was always there. He showed up for me. And... Mike changed my life. <laughs> and I was like, Bro. yeah, cele- celebrate him. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And that's kind of how it felt. It was like, okay. I don't have any kids that like me that much. For real. I'm giving you guys the real. I would be serving, volunteering, and just feeling like God still wants me here even though I don't feel like I'm super effective here. I don't feel like this is a big deal. I feel like I'm just shooting arrows and I don't know why. I don't know what God is trying to do. 
but I'm here and I just feel like God wants me here and I'm just trying to be obedient. And there would be times where he'd meet me, where he'd speak to me. And then eventually, eventually, it got really good there. And I became an effective leader there, had a great small group, it grew to a large group, not a small group. And I had the stories. Some of my guys from my small group are probably here tonight. They were here last week. And um, it just took time. And I didn't ever feel like, oh, this is leading me to being a young adults pastor. It was just one small step at a time, one conversation at a time, trying to serve one person at a time and just believing that because I was doing it to serve God, that it actually was serving some type of purpose, though it may not have felt like it at the time. And so what I was seeing in this story was a reminder that this is just how God operates, that God always has a much bigger plan. You know, I'm reminded of way before I was going to be here and God would just be giving me one step, one step. And I was reminded of even now things that God has told me to do for the future. And I don't know totally what it looks like, but I was convicted like, okay, you did tell me that I should still continue to do this over here. And I should still continue to invest in this area over here. And I shouldn't put this piece down right here but I should continue to cultivate what you gave me and I should just keep shooting these arrows even though I don't know why. But I believe that your plan is bigger and by taking one small step at a time, I've learned that each step will build our faith for the next step. This last point is that our faithfulness in the small steps determines the fulfillment of the big plan. And that's what I think um, a lot of us will miss when we hear these steps. And that's what the king missed. And that's what's really so tragic about the story. Because God was trying to do something huge in his life. But it stopped. Like right there. Right there. God is saying, look, I'm about to turn this whole situation around. Elisha's dying. I want to use you to free all of Israel from this oppression. And the king, not taking the small steps seriously, is just like, eh, mm. I shot a few arrows. What did you want? And so that's why Elisha got mad, because that was God's feeling toward the situation. And he says, you should have shot five or six times and you would have completely destroyed Aram. Why? Not because you want to, but because I want to. God wanted to use this king for a much bigger purpose than he was able to because he wasn't available to be used for that. I don't know what was going on in his mind. I don't know, maybe somebody had told him that he wasn't all that great of a warrior. Maybe somebody had told him that he wasn't good at shooting arrows. 
And so when God had him grab the bow and arrow, he's like, oh, I don't, I don't really like doing this. I, I would actually prefer to have our generals do this because though I'm a king, I'm not all that great of a warrior. Somebody told me that. I remember being told that I wasn't all that great of a speaker. You know what I had to do in that time? Just remember that God told me where he's taking me and that it wasn't about my talent or how good I did or performed or looked, but really that I would just continue to keep my heart after God. And if I just wanted to communicate what he wanted to communicate, he could work on the rest. And so I kept writing. And even leading up to this position, I told y'all, I hadn't preached a whole lot. I had preached like three, three or four times. I say three or four because one of them was like not really a preaching situation. It was just like speaking in front of a few kids. And it was experience, though. So I'm like, it was like three or four. And then stepping into this, speaking to this amount of people on a weekly basis, there was some faith involved there. Just like the king would have needed to believe that, yeah, these, this army, this, this city that's been oppressing you guys for generations, you are going to be the person I use to free all of Israel from this oppression. I don't know what that king had been told that would have his faith so low. That would have him not take it all that seriously. I don't know what you've been told about where God wants to take you. But I will tell you that it's God who has the plan. God has a really, really big plan. And if he has a plan, he can accomplish it. And if you want him to be able to fully move in your life and you want to reach your fullest potential, it's as simple as being available. One small step at a time. And this is really important to understand because there's a lot that hangs in the balance here. This king didn't realize his destiny was hanging in the balance. Like his whole legacy was hanging in the balance of this moment where God himself moves, speaks to him, unscheduled, not planned, apparently hadn't given him prophecies leading up to this, to kind of lead him on to where he was going, but he speaks to him in a moment saying, this is a moment that I'm wanting to do something. And it's not just about you. Elisha, I didn't use to free all of Israel, but now I want to do that and I want to use you. So take this bow, take this arrow, declare war, and then shoot all the arrows to express all the victories that I'm about to accomplish through you. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was doubt. But there's, a, there's another story in the Bible. There's a, there's a man named Gideon. Um, some of you guys may know him. Some of you guys may not. We're not going to go through the whole story, but it's in, it's in the book of Judges, chapters 6 through 8. That's Judges 6 through 8. And Gideon was not a king. Gideon was like the least of the least of the least of the people. 
His clan was the least in all of Israel, and he was the least of his clan. And God himself shows up to him while Israel is being oppressed by the Midianites. This is another time where they're being oppressed, and God wants to use somebody. And he shows up to Gideon and calls him a mighty man of valor and says that he's going to use him to free Israel from the Midianites. Now, the difference between Gideon and Jehoash is that God was able to actually accomplish it through Gideon. And if you read the story, it happened one small step at a time. He would tell Gideon, do this. All right, now do this. Now do this. You have too many people in your army. Shrink it down to this number. Cool, you did that. Now shrink it down to this number. Cool, you did that. Shrink it down to this number. It happened just one small step at a time. And even though when God approached Gideon, he had doubts and he asked questions, the important thing that happened was he didn't let his doubts turn to disobedience. And so whereas King Jehoash, he may have had doubts. He didn't even express them. All he did was disobey. But God would rather use a nobody that believes him than a king who does not. God would rather use a nobody that believes him than a king who does not. Why? Because belief leads to obedience. How are you going to obey something you don't believe? Actually, you can. And that's the trick to it. Even if you have doubts, still obey. You might not know what God is trying to do. You may not know why God is trying to have you shoot arrows right now. But you can obey. And that small step of obedience will eventually build your faith for the next step because God is faithful and he will show himself. So do not let your doubts turn to disobedience and then forfeit your destiny. God wants to do something huge through your life. So instead of that, let your continual obedience build your faith to do the impossible. In Luke 1.37, Jesus says, nothing is impossible with God. And I want to close with this, with this particular story. Because... We learned a lot of lessons from the story that we just heard about King Jehoash, but there was, a, there was a bigger story that was being told even in that story. And we learned a lot of lessons about our personal lives, but there was, there was a bigger story about kingship and kingdom that was taking place in that story. And it really starts way, way back. And it's the story that we're gonna end with. It starts where Israel even asks for a king. This is in the book of Samuel. It says, 1 Samuel 8, Israel said, give us a king to lead us. And this displeased Samuel, who was the prophet of that time. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. 
But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Fast forward all the way to 2 Kings. This is your king? When you had God himself leading you, you had God himself going out before you fighting your battles and you were, you were still wanting to be like everybody else. So you gave that up and asked for a regular king and then look, your king won't even listen to God, won't fulfill his own destiny. So then God in his mercy sends a perfect king. God hears the cry of his people and says, look, they want a king, all right, I'll let them experience this. And they had generation after generation, oppression after oppression, why? Because there were kings who wouldn't fully turn their hearts to God. It wouldn't, allow, wouldn't be available for him to accomplish his purposes through. And so God eventually says, enough is enough. I knew what this was going to lead to. I'm gonna have to show them again who the perfect king is. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life. The Israelites couldn't recognize him because in their mind, they thought a king looked a certain way, moved a certain way, handled himself a certain way. But Jesus came and he was the perfect king I'm so glad that Jesus didn't leave any arrows unshot. That when the Father gave him a command, when the Father gave him a vision, when the Father gave him a purpose, he believed it. And he humbled himself by being obedient, even to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that we could have relationship with God himself so that we could be restored into the kingdom of God, so that we could have the perfect king over us again, not a king who won't listen to God, who can't see the plan of God, not leaders who don't understand the plan of God, but we have access now to Jesus Christ, the perfect king, the perfect Lord, the perfect master, the perfect father to lead us, to guide us, to protect us, to be our peace. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you're not, but maybe you walked in here and Jesus Christ was not king of your life when you walked in here. Maybe something's stirring in you and you're wanting to fulfill your destiny. You're wanting to experience the relationship that God wants with you. You're wanting to experience all that God has for you. And you're seeing that you can't do it on your own, that you can't do it in your own strength, that sometimes you stop shooting arrows, sometimes you doubt, sometimes you don't believe, sometimes you miss the mark. But Jesus Christ says that my grace is available for you. My love is available for you. I have died for you to pay the price for your shortcomings. And I love you more than you ever could have imagined and I saw what you needed before you ever knew you needed it. 
and I paid a price for you, a hefty price, but it's a price that's fully paid. If you're saying today, in this moment, tonight, November 12, 2019, I'm not turning back. I'm not living life my own way anymore. I'm not going to despise the small beginnings that God has for me. And I'm not going to reject him as king anymore. If you're saying that today and you want to receive Jesus Christ into your life, this is a moment available for you. If you want Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, your father, your savior, there's something that we do around here because this is not something light. We view this as a big deal. Each and every one of us who has made this decision knows that this is the biggest, most important, most powerful decision we could have made in our entire lives. And we celebrate when anybody else comes to that realization. So if it's you, you're wanting to say, hey, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life starting tonight. On the count of three, we're gonna go crazy and we're gonna celebrate you and I want you to stand up and take this moment, make this moment a moment between you and God as we celebrate like heaven is celebrating when you make that decision. And that's gonna happen on the count of three. One, two, three. time of worship, celebrating what God has done for us, what God is doing in these moments, the fact that God has victory available for every single one of us. We're going to celebrate by raising a hallelujah. God, we love you. We thank you. We appreciate your word. And we say hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.